Praise the Lord, everybody. Good morning. Amen. Why don't we uh, sh shake somebody's hand and let them know it's good to see them as we find our, uh, find our way to our seats. And we're getting ready to begin our Sunday morning Sunday school service. I won't make you stand up unnecessarily today. Amen. <laughs> I heard it good in there. <laughs> Amen. Well, we have a few announcements to go over this morning, so uh, I want to go ahead and uh, tell you about those today. We want to remember Carlisle Outreach coming up on June 29th. Um, again, that's going to be June 29th. There's still a lot to do for the, uh, for the outreach at Carlisle, so uh, we'll, let's remember that date. And then June 30th is celebrate, uh, Celebration Sunday. That's a fifth Sunday fellowship at 5 p.m. At 5 p.m. And that's going to be at Forbes. That's going to be at Forbes. So that's June 30th at 5 p.m. at Forbes. And there's going to be some details in Breeze. So if you need to take a look at that, feel free to get on Breeze and see what that is about. Amen. There's going to be some uh, announcements behind me here. And um, it's going to be on the screen. If our ushers would go ahead and come, we're going to go ahead and take our, our receive our Sunday morning offering. Let's worship the Lord today as we give. In fact, our lesson today is on giving, so it would be a good day to, to focus on worshiping in this way. <laughs> Amen. So, as I said, we're going to continue our series on giving. Uh, today is series th three, Living a Blessed Life. And I can already tell I might have some issues vocalizing today. <laughs> uh, I've had some, uh, having some pronunciation problems. But don't worry, I'm going to catch up. I'll get there. Uh, series, uh, the series Big Idea has been to continue living a blessed life and honor God with our blessing. Uh, and so today we're going to cover cheerful generosity. Uh, and I want to live a blessed life, amen. I think that we all can say we want to live a blessed life, a life where the Lord is, is pouring out a blessing on us and spiritual power is working for us rather than against us. I want blessing in my life. And uh, as we are living that blessed life, we should display a cheerful generosity. There should be some cheerfulness in our hearts because of the way that the Lord has blessed us and the way that the Lord is blessing us. And uh, I wonder, you know, what it would be like every morning when we get up and we just think, man, I am blessed. I'm getting up today and I have some, you know, I'm going through some things, but spiritual power, heavenly power is working for my sake. And I think that in that we can really find a place of cheerfulness and a place of, uh, of joy. Amen. So today we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we have a lot to go through. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to go through this in a way where we can grab a hold of some really important lessons while at the same time finish. So uh, we'll see what happens. But before we get started today, I wonder if we could just close our eyes and lift our hearts to the Lord today and ask Him to bless us with His Word. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for your goodness and for an opportunity to be gathered here together in your holy name. Lord Jesus, here at this outset, Lord, we... Thank you, God, for your blessing in our lives. Lord, and we lift our hearts that are full of joy, Lord, for your generosity toward us. 
And we just pray today, God, that as we delve into your word, as we lift up our hearts, God, and open our hearts to be transformed by your word, that you would bless us, Lord, in a greater way. Lord, continue to lead us in transformation, God. Speak to us. Lord, lead us into places, God, of, uh, of altar-making, God, where we build altars before you, Jesus. In your name, Jesus, I pray, and we give you thanks for it. Amen. Amen. So, today I want to begin by telling you a short story. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a, a short story that comes from, first, um, from the Bible. You're going to know it as soon as I begin telling you. Uh, you're going to recognize it, but I'm going to begin by telling you this short story. The energy was tangible in the autumn air. The people knew they were witnessing a historic event. Throngs of people assembled from throughout the region to, center, to the center of the holy city to witness the grand opening of a building that would eventually become one of the most famous structures ever built. The word was that all the ancient religious artifacts as well as many new ones were being moved from storage into this new sacred structure. A wave of excitement swept through the crowd as the priests came into view. They marched reverently through town. Those in front bore the stabs of, of the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. The gold-plated wings of the cherubim which sat atop the holy icon sparkled in the sunlight as the priests wound their way amidst the hundreds of cattle and sheep that had been donated as sacrifices for this special occasion. Everyone knew that inside the ark were the two tablets of stone upon which God had carved the Ten Commandments. After putting the ark in the Holy of Holies, the priests purified themselves and joined in the continued celebration. Finally, arrayed Levites stood at the east side of the altar playing cymbals, lyres, and harps. 120 priests who were playing trumpets performed together in unison with singers to praise and give thanks to the Lord. The crowd raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words, He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Second Chronicles 5.13 It soon became evident that God was pleased with His people, who had given so generously to build Solomon's temple. Because as the people praised God, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. It was such a glorious occasion that the priests could not continue their service. God's people had risen to the occasion. They had given and God had responded. And never again would anything so beautiful and holy be built in Israel. And never again would there be a demonstration of heavenly approval as extravagant as this. And at the outset of this lesson, I wonder if we have a desire for a demonstration. Because if we have a desire for a demonstration, we're going to arise to the occasion. We're going to arise to the occasion that says, Lord, I hear you saying there are some things that need to be built. There are some things that I need to focus on. There are some things that I need to put my whole heart on. And I'm going to arise to that occasion, God. There's not going to be anything that stops me in praising you. There's not going to be anything that stops me from gathering the resources for your temple, God. Because I need a demonstration. I want a demonstration of your holy power in my life. And I think... Whenever we begin to consider this, there are some important, there's an important lesson to be learned. Because giving should not be just seen as a personal discipline or a spiritual issue that is just your issue. Because this affects the whole community. The whole community of Israel came together. You had priests, 
you had Israel, you had people worshiping, you had elders, you had builders. There were people come together, the whole community, to do this thing for the Lord. So giving wasn't just a personal issue, it was a community issue. Because if one person had decided to say, you know what, it's, I'm too tired to go today to work on the, the, the house of the Lord, or I'm too tired today to uh, lift my voice to God as an elder, well, this scene would look a little bit different. So our giving doesn't just affect us. Our giving affects everybody. And when everybody else gets involved, the blessing isn't just on us. The blessing's on everybody else. And I want a blessing for not just me, but for my brothers and my sisters, and not just them, but for my city. Amen. And if you want a blessing for your city and for your brothers and sisters, if you want a demonstration today, I wonder if we could just give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Lord, we want a demonstration. Hallelujah. So we need to describe sometimes a time, just taking a moment to step back and describe a time in our life when you've experienced the glory of God. And I would say that uh, whenever we're experiencing the glory of God, God is demonstrating himself in those powerful ways. God is approving, approving something that we've built. You know, I, and sometimes, you know, maybe we don't really see the big picture whenever we're spending that time in prayer or when we're memorizing the scripture or when we're meditating on the word of God. But every moment that we're meditating, every moment that we're praying, every moment that we're seeking his face, something is being built. We're building something in our lives, whether it be an altar before God or it be an altar before some foreign idol, no matter what we're doing. Whenever we devote ourselves with our heart engaged, we're building something. And I want my work and my hands to build something holy before God. So that whenever I build it, God can demonstrate his power in my life. So that whenever the Lord comes and visits me in my prayer, in my prayer closet, he can say, I, rem the, I remember some places, Blake, you've built in your life where you've been at work in your life preparing. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you today. And whenever we go into our prayer closet, I wonder, or not just our prayer closet, but when we're in service, whenever we're worshiping God, whenever we're building something for His kingdom. And you know, our worship encourages one another. So let's not just, let's, at the beginning and outset of this lesson, let's not think that our giving is only monetary, monetary or monetarily, that we can only give monetarily. Because we can give in so many different ways. Just like these people who all came together to prepare Solomon's temple. We also give in so many ways. Maybe we give in a, in, in a smile to someone or a word of encouragement. Maybe we give when we worship God. But in the middle of all that that we're doing, we're in the process of preparing and building something special before the Lord. That says, every time I take an action, I'm believing that I'm doing it because you live, God. Every moment. I'm doing something for you. I'm doing it because I believe you're faithful, because your word is true, and because I can honor you in this way, that the partition has been separated, and I'm not separated from your glory anymore. And when I think about that, it makes me want to worship. It makes me want to do everything I can for the Lord. I want a demonstration in my life. Whenever I build something, I want him to approve it by a demonstration. So humanity is naturally, unfortunately, humanity is naturally and artificially conditioned to get, to get. 
How many of you have ever wanted to get something? I wanted to get something, sure. I, I thought, man, you know, skiing sounds like a good hobby. Mm. I've, never actually, I've never actually purchased any skis, though, so it's just a thought. I probably would not come out on the other side of that too, too well. I'd have to be praying for my broken bones. So, but we all have wanted to get something. Um, and attitudes that produce, there's are, there are attitudes that are produced by this desire to get. Uh, one of those attitudes is satisfaction. Satisfaction uh, comes up in our lives, or or just being just being happy, some or being happy with where we're at can be an attitude that's generated from uh, an attitude of getting. You know, especially if you. And, well, and hu- human motivation, human motivation can, des- can cause us to desire for more all the time, and that's what this is talking about. But if, have, you ever, have you ever seen fi- uh, someone feed fish before? Yeah, I remember as a little kid uh, just stepping on the bridge. I just stepped on the bridge at my grandpa's house, and as soon as those fish heard your footsteps on the bridge, man, they started just coming up. You hadn't even thrown the food in yet. But, and when you threw the food in, yet, yeah, man, that was, that, they really got with it. But they knew where the food was going to be. And uh, whenever I say that an attitude of getting can, can, uh, call, can bring up an attitude of satisfaction is because if you know that you're always going to get the food whenever uh, you cross the bridge, you're going to stay in that spot. But the, the thing about getting is that whenever we are in that mindset of get, 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 we ne- we're not in the mindset of give, give, give. And the problem with that is, is that it's complete opposite of what we're told to do in the gospel. Because the gospel says go. And if we're not going, then we're failing to follow the Great Commission. If my attitude is so firmly rooted in get, 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 I'll never, have, I'll never have the attitude or the heart that's so willing to give that I go. And if we can't give, then we can't go. And like I said, it's not just giving monetarily, but it's giving of our time. It's giving of our gifts. It's giving of our ability. And whenever we can't give just that, we're not really going. And we, can't have the, and we can't have the burden for going. Because God can't bless what you don't give. So I cannot have in my heart an attitude of getting today. I can't have an attitude that says, I'm just going to get all the food. I'm just going to get under the bridge because I know where, I know where I'm going to get everything. But no, I have, I have to go. I have to go. And the thing about, the thing about it is, if, if we get too much, and this is another problem, if we get too much, we can get into a place where, um, and, I'm not, and I, I'm not saying anyone here has a problem with that, but have, a big fish muscles his way through the other fish. You know, a big fish, he, he gets all the food. And if, we're, and if we're in that same spot for too long, we can get a little overfed. And the danger of getting overfed is that, we can, is that there's other things that pop up, like pride. I'm the big fish, you know. 
Um, I've, I've sat under this bridge for a long... Anyway, you see what I'm talking about. We can't get rooted in a getting attitude because we're, we, we won't be blessed if we're in a getting attitude. It has to be a giving attitude. So we're encouraged to think about getting in the Bible. And there's, a, uh, there's this really uh, interesting little dialogue here, but this mindset is illustrated by the story told of the teenage daughter who bounded into the house after her first date and began to breathlessly describe her new boyfriend to her father. He sounds like a great kid, sweetheart, said the father. Does he have any money? With a bit of disgust in her voice, the daughter answered, Oh, you men are all alike. He asked me the same thing about you. <laughs> it's pretty good. He asked me the same thing about you. So, but if, if we're committed, if we're conditioned to get, like I said, we'll never go because going requires sacrifice. Going requires giving. Going requires putting aside myself. It, 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 it requires looking on heavenly things. And too often, getting will keep me rooted in this world. It'll keep my eyes on the, it'll keep my eyes on the physical. It'll keep my eyes on things that are not going to benefit my soul. So today, uh, with that said, I want to be one that, doesn't, that has a giving attitude and not a getting attitude. According to Scripture, giving should be a primary goal of living. It should be a primary goal of living. Francis Bacon said money is like fertilizer. It's one way to say it. Not good unless it's spread. And when it piles up, it's messy and it stinks. And too much of it kills the grass. But when spread out, it makes grass grow. So, yeah, you don't, you don't want it to sit around for too long. I used to drive up north uh, for, for college, and it, it up by uh, Mattoon, and there's a certain stretch between Mattoon and Effingham. Man, that's pretty rough. It stinks up there. <laughs> it's piled up. That's right. It's piled up a little bit too much. But the thing is, the same, the same can be said of our talents and our influence, our leisure and knowledge. All these resources are designed to be spread to others so everyone can benefit. And this is done by giving freely. The thing is, if, if, if our gifts and our talents and what we have to offer other people pile up, uh, it's gonna, it, can, it can cause bitterness to rise up in our hearts or negativity. Because we have all this gifting that we're not sharing. And so we're just looking from the outside in, and it's like, well, I have, I'm looking through my gifting, I'm looking through my talents, and, I can, and all I'm seeing is negativity because I'm not doing anything. Whenever the Lord is trying to draw me and say, okay, get in that spot that you see and give. Because if you don't, that bitterness is just going to continue to become overwhelming in your life, and it can destroy you. So I don't want my gifts, I don't want the things God has blessed me with to pile up. I want to spread it out. Hey, if, I have a, if, if you have a great smile, or if you're really good at saying encouraging words, sp spread it out a little bit. Don't let it just sit there. Because if it just sits there, you're going to see the words that aren't being spoken. You're going to see the smiles that aren't being given, because that's your spot that you're supposed to be filling. 
So I want to give. Because if it piles up, I'm going to get bitter. I'm going to get negative. And I don't want that to happen in my life. No one demonstrated the beauty and power of giving more than Jesus Christ did. He could have sold the loaves and fishes to the 5,000 and made a nice profit. But he gave without charge. He healed people without charge and he taught without selling tickets. Jesus and his disciples used money but, they, but did not worry about it. In Matthew 10, 8, Jesus said, Freely ye have received, freely give. I think that, that, is an important, that that's an important verse to really grab a hold of in our lives. Freely we have, give, we have received, so freely give. And I think when we're in a getting attitude, we can see, we, we look at the work that we put in to get what we have. But this scripture calls us to a higher mind. Because even though you've worked, you wouldn't even be able to work if it wasn't for the Lord. You wouldn't even be able to speak if it wasn't for God. You wouldn't have uh, an, encouraging, an encouraging word to say if it wasn't for God. You wouldn't be a people person if it wasn't for God. You wouldn't have the know-how of how to build things if it wasn't for God. And so freely ye have received, and so freely give. And in our minds we might say, well, I went through a lot to get a hold of that knowledge. Or I went through a lot to get a hold of what I have. But whenever we see it from a heavenly perspective, we know that all things that we have that are good comes from God. And so because we have been given, because we have received freely, we should consider giving freely. Because doing that is going to make us like Jesus. And I want to be like Jesus today. I don't want to be in a getting attitude. I want to be in a giving attitude. I want to be in a going attitude that freely gives. So I wonder if you can think of some examples of Bible characters who uh, gave generously. Any? Just off the top of your head. All right. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. He gave his life, didn't he? He laid down his shepherding. He gave. David, yeah, and a lot of these, and a lot of these didn't even think they were qualified to begin with, and they and they gave. Uh, I would point you to the woman in First Kings seventeen nine, who gave what little bit of oil that she had, oil and meal. Arise, get thee to Zarephath. This is 1 Kings 17 and 9. Which belongeth to Zidon. And dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruse. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. 
So her sacrifice here seems a little bit more intense. It's not just I'm going to miss a, um, an outing where I might sacrifice going out to eat or something. No, this was I'm going to die. My son and I are going to die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. So what he's saying here, Eli, so what he's saying here is Elijah's looking into the future of what God's about to prepare and what he's about to do. He's saying, okay, first make me the cake that, with the resources that you have, and then after that, you're going to have some left because the Lord's going to bless you. And, the, and, the, and maybe when the woman heard this, maybe she wouldn't have understood that. But Elijah knew what the Lord was about to do. So, uh, uh, and so, whenever he said that to her, he says, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, and, well, and then after he says that to her, then he reveals, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the curse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. So as soon, but in her mindset, whenever Elijah first uh, speaks these words, make me the cake first, imagine that shock. Whoa, you know, so you're telling me I have to give you what, what I have, and that's all that I have. But then he follows it up, and she went and did according to, to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And... Uh, interestingly, there's a scholar, Thomas L. Constable, and he, he makes an interesting comment that this miracle of God's continually supplying flour and olive oil was another polemic against Baal. Just as was the drought, Baal worshippers believed he was a fertility god giving rain to make crops grow, but he could not overcome the drought to make wheat and olive trees grow. Only the true God could provide flour and oil in a drought. So I want you to think about this. What did this woman give? Not only did she give of her resources, but she also gave of her ability to make a cake. She, she gave of her hospitality. She gave in her obedience. In a lot, yeah, she gave in a lot of ways. And this, God is, is setting up to show that whenever we give, the scripture is true. That we can't, and we know the scripture's true, but we can't serve more than, we can't serve two masters. Just as we can't serve mammon with our money, we can't serve Baal expecting him to provide for us. Because only God can provide for us. Only God can. And a lot of times we, and we, we know that scripture. You know, we can't, we can't serve money. But we also can't serve other things that we expect to, to provide for us. We can't serve a job. We can't serve, uh, uh, we can't serve a, um, things that we enjoy doing. Because the things that you enjoy doing are only give you, will only give you a momentary joy. The thing, a temporary joy. The, the, the things that your, your job or your profession, your work, that's only going to provide to a certain extent. And expecting those things, to, those things to provide for you over God is equivalent to Baal worship. You cannot serve two masters. You can only serve one. And I want to give. And I want to serve God. Let it not be said, 
of me at any time in my life that I looked to two masters. That I looked to my job to provide for me more than I did God. That I looked for some, uh, for some activity to fill a void more than God. Because if I have, I have engaged in worship of an idol. And that cannot be blessed by God. That cannot be spread out to another person. And so, I want to serve the Lord today. Can we just give Him a hand clap of praise today? Lord Jesus, we love You. Lord Jesus, we want to serve You. Lord Jesus, we want to look to You for everything, God, that we have need of. Oh, Lord. So what can we learn from those in Scripture who have gave generously? Well, the first thing is that giving doesn't always end with the monetary, as I've, always, as I've already said. It can be bringing someone into your home and feeding them, even though maybe you don't have much. It can mean stopping by and helping someone change a tire, because you know how to do it. It can be a lot of different things. But, include, but giving also includes effort and skills in that, same, in that same way. It requires me saying, I'm going to go. It requires saying, I'm going to give. I'm going put to put to use the skills and the gifts God gave me, and I'm going to spread it out. And it also requires humility. And the, act of, and the humility is the act of practicing modesty. It's becoming common. Saying, who am I to say that I can't do this whenever I know full well that I can do this? I bring myself to a place of, place of commonality. It means becoming weak. Saying, Lord, rather than try to provide for myself, I look to you to provide. It means becoming needy. To say, Lord, I have need of something. To say, Lord, maybe giving in this way is going to cause, it could cause, it could cause a tough situation like the woman with the meal and oil. But to say, I, I have need of you, God. I'll do this because I need you. And I need you more than I need this to sustain me. Hallelujah. You know, I just feel his, his spirit here today. I wonder if in our hearts that we could just say, Lord, we need you, Jesus. Lord, we want to give, Jesus. Lord Jesus, teach us, God. In glaring contrast to our generous Savior, was the rich man whose story Jesus told in Luke 16. You see, the rich man, he had a heart problem. He had much but was unwilling to share what he had with the poor beggar who lived on the street. When both, man, when both men died, Lazarus went to heaven and the rich man went to hell. But the rich man was not in hell because of things he did wrong. 
from reading the scripture, but it was because he held back instead of giving. So if we hold back instead of giving, and as we've already talked about, it's more than just our finances. If we hold back, it seems like uh, the scripture says there are some dangerous things that can happen. There are some scary consequences if we don't give freely as we have received freely. According to Jesus, teaching generosity is not just a nice character trait, but it's a core value of true believers. It's a true, it's a core value. And um, I would like to, for just a moment, tell you about a story uh, in conjunction with that rich man. The Lord's trying to teach us this core value of giving. But in conjunction with this rich man who went to, he- who went to hell because he gave back, uh, not too long ago I read a story uh, about an individual who, um, who came in need of something. And I'm going to try to, it was, in a, it was in a devotional. And uh, maybe, well, it, it wasn't a devotional that we wrote or anyone that we know wrote, but it was just a random devotional on an app that I read. So I'll put it that way. It was on an app. And I read this devotional about how this man was coming, uh, coming to service and how he uh, um, was kind of resistant to getting into groups and connecting with people. Didn't, he, he didn't talk to anyone really, you know, and he didn't get into groups. And, uh, and then one day he had a heart attack and he went to the hospital because he needed surgery. And he was in the hospital for about a week. And uh, whenever he came back to church, he spoke to someone and he was really wounded because no one had reached out to him. And in that moment, um, there were a couple, there were several different options that could have been taken. Um, And you could have responded in a lot of different ways. But unfortunately, the author of this, um, this devotional uh, saw the fault in the man who didn't reach out and who didn't connect and when I read that I was kind of um, I was stirred up because I know that maybe it can be easy to get to a place where it's easy to put the obligation on another person but whenever we're called to not hold back it means going it means all of us walking to the person It means all of us walking to each other and connecting with one another. It's not just any one person's response. It's all of our responsibility. And I don't want to ever hear something like that. And I don't ever want to respond in that way where I say, well, I held back. Or uh, or to, to, to hear someone say that to me and to say, well, the obligation was yours. Because the obligation is ours to not hold back. To give our love, to give our compassion. To give of ourselves to one another. Because like I said, if we hold back, we're going to be in danger. Just as the man, uh, the rich man who held back. Generosity is a core value. I want to have that core value that gives. I want to have that core value that not only gives, but gives cheerfully. That sees, my, that sees people who are in need. And recognizing that my giving isn't just limited to my finances. It says, God, lead me and teach me and show me 
how I can give uh, more effectively to my brothers and my sisters. So what are some examples of Bible characters uh, who were stingy or selfish? We might be able to think about those a little easier. But my mind, it goes straight to, uh, well, it's, and it's, a, it's a heavy story, but it goes straight to Ananias and Sapphira. Acts 4 and 32, it reads, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And then Acts 5.1, But a certain man named Ananias, Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and, and, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. But Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And, got, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. This is a uh, pretty intense situation where some Bible characters were stingy or selfish. But at the outset of the, of the lesson, I talked about how important to recognize that giving affects the whole community. It affects all of us. Well, here in Acts 4 and 32, it says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. And I began thinking about that. This is a congregation. This is a congregation that had a vision that... Man, I want you to consider for just a moment. When the scripture says, knock and it shall be opened to you. Whenever there is a people of one heart and one accord, and we are all knocking at the same door, what can happen? How will God respond when he hears 250 people knocking at a door today? Saying, Lord, open. This is the door, God. I'm knocking at this door, Lord. What a mighty way I think God will respond and does respond. When, there, when a whole congregation, this congregation, other congregations, knock at a door of blessing. Knock at a door of outpouring of revival. And here this church, they were knocking at a door. They were of one heart and one soul, and they were knocking. Lord, we're hungry. Lord, we're thirsty. Lord, we're looking and we're seeking. How many people he heard knocking at that door. And then Ananias and Sapphira would turn around at that and work against it. And we wonder why there was such a Terrible judgment upon him. 
we wonder why there, man, when there is vision and when there is a coming together of one heart and one accord knocking at the same door, when anything would come against that, it gets dangerous for whatever it is. Whether it be the enemy, whether it be outside circumstances, no matter what, when there is, when there is a coming together in unity, praise God, the power of the Lord is there. And we see this judgment cast upon them because they acted against that. When we think about, when we think about communion, what it means to take communion, it, it means to, to be for one another, it means to be in fellowship with one another. And the Bible tells us many are sick among you because you, do, you drink and eat unworthily. Because you're doing this, but you're actually against the vision. You're against what's going on. That's why these things are happening. And this is a prime example of how two people came and they held back. And not only did they hold back, but they worked against. God help us. Not only if we're holding back, but God help us if there's something in our hearts that would choose to work against. Because that is a dangerous place to be. I don't ever want to be there. But if we're going to avoid that type of mentality, if we're going to avoid that type of approach, we, gotta, we have to be giving. We have to be a giving people. We have to be a people that see the need and spread, and spread the generosity to our brothers and sisters and that we give freely. I want to be like that. So what can we learn from those in Scripture who were stingy or selfish? Well, You can turn what you're meant to give into an idol, and it will result in judgment. That's the first thing. Why, why did Ananias and Sapphira receive judgment in the way they did? Well, not only because they were working against the church, but there, were some, there was something in their hearts that many believe exalted them to a place of pride. They told the, 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 the disciples, excuse me, I'm going to stutter for a second. They told the disciples that they had sold the land for X amount of money. And many believe that, the money, that what they were telling the disciples is that they sold it for lower than what they sold it for so that everyone would look at what they were giving and think they gave so much. So not only were they working against the community, not being in one heart and one accord with them, but they were also trying to appear as they were something they were not. And when we give, we have to avoid that type of mentality. A mentality that says, well, I'm going to give, but I'm going to give it out of an attitude that makes me look good. Because that's also not what it's about. It has to originate right here in the heart. That says, Lord, I want to give because you gave. I want to demonstrate, Lord, your love because you demonstrated your love for me. I don't ever want to turn anything, not even giving to people, into an idol. So giving with the wrong attitude is potentially dangerous. We can, we can all agree, agree on that. And whenever we're knocking all together, you know, that in, saying, in, in bringing that out, it also makes me want to consider if I am doing that and consider, consider how powerful that is to all be knocking together at the same door. That unity. And I just feel that in my spirit today. Because the Lord is doing so many things among us. 
He is pouring out His Spirit. He's beginning to work in, in powerful ways. Revival is beginning to be poured out. It is being poured out. And whenever we catch hold of, the, of that vision, of that desire, of that, of that and, we, and we approach that door all together and we knock, man, how powerful of a thing that is. So giving should be a priority because giving reveals one's values. Giving reveals our values. Matthew 6, 24, 33 through 34, it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You know, there are some times in our lives where we just need to take a step back and say, Lord, uh, I've, I've had the wrong perspective for a little while. And I'm giving, I'm putting my eyes back on those things of the kingdom that says that uh, everything comes from you. Everything I need, I receive from you. I seek first the kingdom because there have been things that have gotten into my vision or into my view that are distracting me. And Lord, I want to make sure that I'm seeking first the kingdom because if I am, then I don't have to worry about an attitude that, that comes up that would result in judgment on me. I want to seek God's kingdom first. So how do we, so then the next question, how do we ensure that you're giving of your time and resources so God is free to bless your life? And I would just simply say that we need to evaluate which kingdom we're seeking. Which kingdom? Is my mind really on the kingdom of God in my pursuit? Lord, have I really, have I, have I truly been trying to reach people the way I should? And if I have not, what has stood in my way? I want to seek first the kingdom because he's called me to give. He's called me to give. So giving is a law of the universe in the same way gravity is a law of physical science. It's a law. Stingy people cannot be blessed. God encourages us to give because it's how everyone ends up being blessed. So if I'm stingy, we saw what happens to stingy people. Maybe it's not always going to be that severe. But whenever you withhold, God withholds. And whenever you give, God gives. And so God encourages us to give because it's how everyone ends up being blessed. He wants us to spread the wealth. So when Israel was having financial problems, God used the prophet Haggai to give King Zerubbabel this advice. And uh, this is a lengthy reading, and I'm almost out of time, but I pray that you, uh, I ask that you would just uh, stick with me here for just a couple more minutes. So the people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? There's a lot more to the scripture, but that right there. Why are you living in luxurious houses when my house lies in ruins? Why are you doing all these things that are fun, that you think are fun?
read a little bit of it. Uh, Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of Through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. According to God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Think soberly. What does soberly mean? It means avoiding an us versus them mentality. It means being modest. It means living in restraint. So I wonder if we have ever thought that when we're called to give sacrificially, when we're called to mind the things of God, I wonder if we've ever thought that sometimes that begins with living soberly, with living modestly, with saying, Lord, if I want to give sacrificially, then that means living in a way where my mind is not focused on the kingdom of this earth, but the kingdom of heaven. That says, I'm going to live in a place where I can give more sacrificially than, because if I'm giving to a point, if, I, if I'm in a place where I'm living to a point where I have nothing left to give, how can I then give sacrificially if I'm using everything that I have to make it? When we do that, we're not living soberly. And, and doing that means we're living. I have, I have a lot more to talk to you about, but I'm going to go ahead and begin to to. To close here, but I do want to I do want to let you know that we have to we also have to practice giving systematically. We have to practice this daily, because if we go into everything that I've been teaching this this morning, there are some things that can be immediately. And the process and beginning of growing into those things is to just begin systematically approaching God. To say, I'm going to give a little bit at a time uh, until I get to the place where I'm, I'm living in, in that holy way. That lives soberly, that, in, that empowers me to give even more sacrificially. And more than anything today. More than anything, I want to make sure that I'm not building for myself a luxurious house and leaving the things of God unattended. I want to make sure that I am taking the gifts God has given me and I'm spreading it out. That I see that giving is more than monetary. It's also giving of myself and who I am. It's giving of all the blessings God has given me. And in that, when we do it, God will demonstrate himself. Amen.
Can we just stand today and end with a word of prayer? I want the Lord to demonstrate Himself in my life and to bless the things that I have worked to build. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your presence that's here today. We thank You, Lord, for the call. Lord Jesus, for the call to give cheerfully and graciously. The call, God, to be reminded to keep our mind on the things of heaven and to spread, Jesus, what You have given us liberally and freely, God. We thank You, Jesus, for the reminder, O oh Lord, not to build for ourselves luxurious things, but, O oh Lord, to seek Your kingdom and to seek to build Your house to, in a greater way. To seek to build your kingdom, O oh God. Jesus, we thank you for your call today to remember to give. Because you have given to us freely, so also, God, do we desire to give freely. Bless us today. Help us to go with your word today and challenge us this week. To give in even greater ways. And to see your demonstration in our lives, almighty God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.